Hello and welcome to The Price of Everything, a podcast that aims to shine a light on pricing. The cost of commodities, that's energy, food and so on, is such an important part of our lives. But how are those prices actually calculated? Why do they move up and down quite so much? And what's next? The Price of Everything is the first podcast dedicated purely to how pricing works. My name is Neil Bradford, and I'm the founder and CEO of General Index, which is the world's first technology-led benchmark provider. Together with my colleagues from around the world and some special guests, we'll be taking you through how some of the world's most important commodities come to be priced and what the future looks like for them in the age of climate change and the energy transition. Dated Brent is the world's most widely recognized price for crude oil. But why Brent? How did an oil field off the coast of Scotland become so pivotal in global oil pricing? My colleague David Elwood explores the history. John Kingston is currently editor-at-large with trucking data specialist FreightWaves. For our story on Brent, he has a big claim to fame. Back in the 80s, he was a commodities market reporter. He joined the price reporting agency Platz's New York Bureau in June 1985 as a domestic crude reporter. Little did he know at the time, his remit would soon go international and he would launch the first dated Brent assessment. Neil and I spoke to John about those early years. Here he is, beginning by telling us how he first learned the ropes on U.S. crude. So in the beginning, uh, I was charged with doing three assessments a day, West Texas Intermediate, West Texas Sour at Midland, and Alaska North Slope in the Gulf Coast. At that, back then, you know, ANS production, Alaska production was close to 2 million barrels a day, and the West Coast could not absorb all of it. So they used to move some of it around to the Panama Canal, and then up into the Gulf Coast. And that was actually a fairly active market, uh, fairly contentious. There was a gentleman, I, I won't give his name just because he doesn't need, need to be told, uh, who was doing international crude out of New York. An interesting story, uh, his father was an energy entrepreneur and he bought the come by chance refinery in Newfoundland. Uh, and really once he did that, there was an obvious conflict of interest to have his son doing international crude assessments while his father was buying crude to run the refinery. So, um, so he left, he actually had a very successful career as a, as a broker, I believe. Uh, and I took over international crude. Now I can still remember from when I started this sort of beaten up ragged piece of paper that had our contacts on it. And there probably wasn't more than 10. Uh, and it also had in very large letters, capital letters, we only assess 15 day Brent and 15-day Brent is what they call paper Brent back then. It was, of course, the 15 days because that was the notice that you would get of your loading dates for the cargo. So uh, I would be on the phone all day because, remember, there was no ICE contract. I mean, if there was a predecessor to the – of course, ICE was preceded by IPE. I don't know if, if IPE might have been trading Brent, but nobody – it didn't have liquidity. Nobody really looked at it. So if you want to know what the 15-day Brent price was – um, you really kind of had to call around and find out what deals were getting done. And I would just, you know, write down deals all day. And then, um, so this would have been 1986 uh, when my predecessor left, I would have took over international. And um, so, yes, yeah, so, so I was had that ragged piece of paper with the admonition that we only do 15-day Brent and not dated. And I really don't know why. I think maybe 
back then the dated Brent market, the physical Brent market was uh, not particularly liquid and not particularly transparent, but it came pretty obvious to me pretty quickly that we really needed to change this. And the first dated Brent assessment came out, I believe around April, 1987. So this, this oil field came about in 19, I think it was discovered in 1971. I think the first production was about 1976. Um, and so what purpose was this price? You talked about a traded market, but um, you know, just, just talk us through a little bit, you know, who was buying and selling um, and why, what was a 15 day price used for and then a, then a dated price? You know, the, the, the reason it was, it was used was really when you looked around the world prior to that, they were all kind of published prices and they didn't change much and they didn't move. Now let's remember that in October, I think it was October of 1983, the NYMEX launched its WTI contract, so you had, which was immediately successful. Um, so um, you, you had a marker, a crude price that could move every single day, minute by minute. Well, once that did, once that happened, you know, Brent wasn't going to sit there and Brent wasn't controlled by any single entity. I mean, obviously, I, the big equity stakes were held primarily at that point, I think, by BP and Shell. But I think really all the major oil producers had it. Uh, there was, it was not sold with any movement restrictions. So you could take a cargo and you could take it anywhere you like. Um, and so, you know, brokers got in. Uh, there were brokers that we talked to all the time who would give us the deals that were getting done. Uh, the, you know, traders piled in as well. Uh, and of course, you had the equity players as well. So, um, so given that there was nothing out of the Middle East except Dubai crude uh, that, you know, really kind of traded freely. So given the, the location of Brent, the fact that that crude could go anywhere into Europe, into Africa, into the Middle East, though I think it pretty much stayed in Europe, um, given that it was a very logical benchmark to develop. And it's not like it really muscled anything out because of the static nature of the market with these whole, you know, kind of posted prices that didn't move. As a result of that, the market was looking for something like that. West Texas Intermediate uh, could have been it, but it, of course it had export restrictions, which it then had for another, you know, 40 years. Uh, and, um, and uh, you know, it, so it was a strictly U.S. price. So it was very transparent, but it had some limitations as, as a benchmark. So this is an international price. Um, it's a market, as you say. I mean, uh, the oil could go anywhere. Uh, it's it's seaborne, so you're not tied to a pipeline structure or anything like that. You've got that flexibility. Um, and I guess I've heard also that you know a key element of that is that you know the so the UK rule of law and the UK legal system is kind of trusted, and so therefore contracts written in the UK was were viewed as uh, as pretty solid. Uh, and therefore you had a, a whole for the first time you had an international. Um, sort of crude market rather than, as you say, either a, a posted market where sellers just set, just set the price and you take it or leave it, or uh, obviously there was a pretty robust U.S. traded market, but that was very much tied just to the uh, to the U.S. system. Is, is that a fair summary? Would you say? Yeah, I think you're right. Remember, there was the I mean, the industry did come up with the standard 15 day contract, um, which set the legal basis for trading in that, and that allowed it to take off because. Uh, I mean, everybody signed on to that, everybody used it. So it really kind of set some standards uh, that allow the, allow the trade to grow. Yeah, and, this, and they kind of talk us through sort of 15 day versus dated. How did that evolve and why was that important for this to really flourish? Right, well, back then, back then the 15 day contract, it's, which is not the way it's worked today. And don't ask me how it works today, because I don't know. Um, back then the 15 day, you got David there to tell us, you know, so uh, back then a 15 day contract only meant that you would get that you would get notification of your loading dates of your the cargo you owned 15 days before it loaded. 
Now, mind you, those uh, dates were actually sometimes transmitted by telex, even though telex by 1985 was kind of a, you know, for most of the world was still sort of a, uh, an antiquated technology, you know, in sort of far flung parts of the world like Africa, that was still the means of communication. So, um, so you would get a telex notification at five o'clock uh, UK time uh, that your, your, your cargo that you own um, is going to be loading on June 13th to 15th in that window and come pick it up. So um, then once, of course, once the dates were applied to that, then it became a dated brand cargo because it had a date on which the physical oil could be loaded. Um, the, uh, the, a cargo in the 15-day market could get traded dozens and dozens of times and often did. The, these chains were enormous. Uh, it, it used to drive me crazy because sometimes when the general press would write about it, they would talk about a cargo that would get traded multiple times as it was crossing the ocean. That really wasn't the case. I mean, it, once, once it was loaded, yes, it could be sold again, but they were getting the, the rapid chains in the 15-day market confused with what happened in dated, uh, the dated market. Um, I know that there were certainly changes. The 15-day market, I think, may have become a 21-day market at one point. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think you got to be pretty old to have traded a 15-day cargo, but uh, that, that was the standard. And those in the beginning, before the dated Brent assessment, the, the Platts numbers on Brent were 15-day numbers, which means they were not physical prices. So as you kind of made that, made that development to dated, did you, did you think you were doing anything particularly special or interesting? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I guess I probably did. Um, I will tell you that because the crude, you know, you, I mean, you think of you think of a, a benchmark provider like Platts or, or Argus or General Index, and, and the, the reality is back then, I don't think there was a lot of crude benchmarking going on uh, in the physical markets because crude trade was crude trade was fairly new. Uh, I like I said, I will tell you that I did this ANS price, this Alaska North Slope price, into the Gulf Coast. And I had one particular trader that would get on the phone and scream at me like every single day uh, about my ANS assessment. I would like to tell you that eventually he did go to jail. So there was a little bit of karma there. Um, not, not, he didn't go to jail because he yelled at me, but I, I, I certainly took a little bit of delight in it. Uh, anyway, um, so the idea that, you know, you, we were going to create this great crude benchmark, certainly Platts was very big in the product benchmarks. Um, I remember one day I filled in for the guy who did the New York Harbor uh, fuel oil prices, you know, they're called resid in the US. And I was thinking of moving the, they, back then they would only move like in 25 cent increments and not all that often. And about halfway through the day, I, I thought, well, you know what, maybe I need to move this this day. And the word got out to the industry like wildfire. Platts is thinking of moving the resid numbers today. So you can see where like that was really big in products and not as big as in crude. So I don't know that I necessarily thought that starting date at Brent was, uh, you know, was going to be such a big deal. If it wasn't me, it would have been somebody else eventually, obviously. But um, I mean, let me talk a little bit about how I would assess it at that point, because it kind of shows the way the market has changed. Um, so the the window that we would use were five to 15 days out. So uh, if it was June 3rd and I heard of a deal for June 4th to 6th, that wouldn't be in the assessment uh, because that was not in the five to 15 days window. Um, so generally there was not enough trade. You, you, you might get one trade or two trades a day and um, that really would become the assessment. If, if, if a deal nine to 11 days out got done at paper Brent minus you know, 10, then that really became the assessment. Uh, when I say paper brand, of course, I mean 15-day brand. I do want to point out that at that point, there were no swaps. So um, 
you know, it really wasn't uh, until kind of the late 90s that the methodology was changed in which the value of swaps was built into the assessment. Let's say I had a deal, after we brought the swaps in, if you had a development where you had a swap value for, you know, 13 to 15 days out and a physical deal of five to seven days out, eventually the methodology changed so that it brought in that swap um, as part of the deal. Um, back then, you know, if you had one physical deal kind of anywhere in the window and some days you didn't have any, that pretty much became the, the, the assessment because it was, you know, it was not a mature market yet. Swaps didn't come around. My recollection is that swaps did not become a thing in the market until around 1989 or 1990 when the CFTC handed down a decision that basically said, this ain't our issue. We, you know, we are not regulating swaps. We do not believe that that is in our uh, that is in our remit. So at that point, the swaps market took off. But when I was doing data, Brent, there were no swaps. So I, it's not like I ignored them. They just literally didn't exist. John, it's interesting to like what you're describing is like the sort of the emergence of sort of the small green shoots of something that's grown over the last like 35 years into this kind of giant oak. Uh, it's a kind of torture, a metaphor. I mean, tell us a little bit more about just that process of the engagement with the market participants. You, you mentioned someone who would sort of shout down the phone to you. What was that kind of interaction like? Did you did you relish? Who were, who were the types of companies that you were speaking to? I get the sense that they were kind of free and able to, to discuss with you. Was it sort of an open conversation? So I would, you know, I mean, I took the approach, you know, my, my background is as a journalist, I took the approach of just, you know, I talked to a lot of people on the phone and then I made my decision. Uh, I assume that some, we probably, I, I don't even know if we had a formal announcement that we we're going to do this. We just kind of launched it one day. Back then, the, the crude oil market wire, uh, which was delivered by Telex, in fact, this was pre-fax days. Uh, the crude oil market wire was uh, the, the primary vehicle for getting these numbers out in the crude market. They were also in the oil grand price report, but that used to just be delivered by mail. So that wasn't exactly timely. Um, so we probably had an announcement and I'm sure I spoke to many, many people really, quite frankly, my day then was, you know, there's no, there was no internet that back then I'd pick up the phone. Hi, Bob, how you doing? We talk, I'd write stuff down. Hey, thanks a lot. Take care. I press in another number. I call somebody else. I mean, this went on all day long. Uh, and I think it's, I, quite frankly, I, I feel sorry for uh, editors today who don't get to do that because I got, you know, pretty nice personal relationships with a lot of people. So um, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just assuming, I, I, my memory's a little vague on this, that at a certain point, I realized in talking enough of them, yeah, we're going to do dated. And so that was kind of, I guess, it was sort of through an organic process, you, you got the sense that this is where the market was going. Was that more the case than sort of a particular company or participants involved in Brent in particular who wanted to shine a bit more light on it or have an independent third party take in this role? Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting question, Dave, because I don't fully remember. But, you know, now, now, you know, memory is starting to come back as we speak about this. You know, I do pretty much recall people saying, yeah, you should do data. You know, you should do data. The, the, the market is is developing and you're not there. So uh, and, you know, back then, back then, before price reporting agencies really became as thoroughly embedded as they are now, I think there was a part on some people's so the, the, uh, the, some people's uh, view that well, maybe if we convince them, they won't assess this product, you know, like, which is ridiculous, of course, in retrospect. Yes, I think you're talking about an absolutely fascinating time where, you know, a new market develops based on production. 
discovered in the 70s, the trading comes along in the 80s, there's a particularly unique set of situations, which means that you know, the UK is the right place for, for cargoes to be, to be sold from. Uh, and then this market develops, reporters like yourself start reporting it, and bring that clarity to where, where the prices really are at. And as you say, things have moved on a lot from them, but it's, it is amazing that this is still the, the, the oil field we talk about and the, and the number that we're, we're still referring to. So, well, you described you know, how people were viewing it as important, whether or not this price was produced or covered and how they wanted it you know, to, to be higher or lower, depending on what, whether they're a buyer or a seller. But sort of just talk a little bit about how you understand that that number came to be used. What did, they, what did the industry do with that number? How did it become what it is today? Of course, I think that one of the big uses of, of any kind of benchmark now is the settlement of derivatives. And as I said, when I started the, the price, there were no derivatives. You know I mean, if there were, they certainly weren't at the level now. I mean, I guess there had to be some derivatives to have the CFTC rule on whether they were going to, uh, whether they were going to regulate them. John, I want to come back to, to you and what your reflections are. Now you're sort of 35 plus years on from from this from the genesis of Brent of of dated Brent and how how that evolved and you look more broadly at the proliferation of financial markets and where these benchmarks have been used. How do you look back and reflect on your role in bringing what has become such a integral price to market? Yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of reminded of the joke from Seinfeld where where Jerry and George were talking about their favorite uh, explorer. And uh, George says his favorite explorer was DeSoto. And Jerry says, why? And George says, well, because he discovered the Mississippi. And Jerry says, what, like they wouldn't have found that anyway? So, um, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm very proud to have been the first person to do data Brent. One, one funny thing was if you go into the database now, um, let's say a guy named Joe Smith puts out the assessment for you know, European diesel, in the database, it will say that Joe Smith did that. Back then, we had a product called the Spinner, where you put the, you put your data into this tool, and you would kind of dump into something called the Spinner, and the Spinner would just scoop it up and put it into the database. So it puts the the origin of the data as Spinner. So it just it disappoints me that my name's not on there, but because uh, I don't have that proof. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad to have. I'm, I'm proud to have been the first one to do it. When I look back at how sim simple it was, I won't call it simplistic, how simple it was compared to the complexity of today's, it's just staggering to me. But you know, that's that's progress, that's intellectual progress, that's economic progress. I will tell you, I, you know, I mentioned uh, working for American Metal Market before that, you know, the, the metals markets are more complex than they were uh, back then. Uh, so, I mean, all of this, as, as you had kind of financial deregulation, you had uh, more complexity and more minds brought to it. Thanks very much to John for joining us on the podcast. To our listeners, if you'd like to engage with anything he said, you can join in the conversation on Twitter and LinkedIn by using the hashtag GXPriceOfEverything. You've been listening to The Price of Everything, a new podcast from General Index. Goodbye. <laughs>